You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Whatever he says to you, do it. I want us to say that together, can we? Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. How simple is that? But how profound. In a time of lack, obey him. In a time of need, seek him. In a time of crisis, turn to him. In your faith journey, do you ever hear God's voice? When you hear a distinct calling from God, do you drop everything and follow him? Today in his message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that simply put, when God calls you to something, he expects you to follow after his divine plans. No matter how much you know or how successful you feel like your own decisions are, it'll never satisfy. Step into your divine calling and let God guide you into eternity. Never grow weary of seeking after the Lord. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of John chapter 2 as he begins his message, The God Who Chose a Wise Mother. The God Who Chose a Wise Mother, which may sound like a kind of a strange statement because how could God choose a mother, but God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't have an earthly father, but he had an earthly mother and God chose a wise teenage Jewish girl to be Jesus' mother. And I want to just jump into a little story that had to do with Jesus and Mary in John 2, 1 through 5, the God who chose a wise mother Let's read it. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? I'm going to explain why that sounds so mean in just a minute. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that the wisdom of Mary that you gave her would become part of the wisdom of our life. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this is going to be good. Perk up and listen. You're going to need it before you get home. Now, uh, by the way, just talking about this, I was at a wedding last night. And it's occurring to me that I'm marrying off this whole family. Many of you know Lucy Hinkle. I married her son off about a year ago and then her daughter off last night. And then they let me know, you know, Pastor Jeff, when we first knew you, we were just this high. And so let me tell you what's starting to happen to me. I'm starting to marry people who I dedicated <laughs> as children, as babies. It's, it's, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. It was a beautiful wedding in a beautiful place, and God was really there. Now, today is Mother's Day, so we're going to take a look at the most famous mother of all time, no doubt about it, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as we continue in this series, The God Who, I want to focus on how God can select the people that he needs for a certain purpose. God picks people. He picked you. He chose you. Some of you may right now have a mother who is very sick. I'm aware of a couple in our congregation whose mothers are soon to go home. 
And it's difficult to come and focus on that and be forced to think even more about that. And there's likely a handful of you who have experienced the devastating loss of a child. And this really reminds you of that. And, and I get it to a point. I can't fully understand, but I don't understand why this would be difficult for you. And then there's always the precious women who would love to have a child and for some reason can't. And this day stings. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to share some principles that transcend these things and are broad enough to be a blessing to everybody, not just moms who are not in a position to enjoy today. Now, the fact is this. I've never been a mother, but I've lived with one. And motherhood is not glamorous, nor is it easy. Every mother say amen. It wasn't easy for Mary, and it's not easy for any other mom. One mother said, the joy of motherhood is what a woman experiences when all the kids are finally in bed. A mother talking to an old college friend said, before I was married, I had three theories about raising children. Now I have three children and no theories. I get that too. Another woman who had three children was asked, if you had it to do all over again, would you have children? She said, yes, but not the same ones. <laughs> Things don't always go the way moms hope. I want you to think about this. The very first mom, Eve, watched her first child become a murderer and a fugitive. Think about that. Moses' mother had to give him up for adoption. Samuel's mother released him as a mere child to serve in the temple of God, and she only got to see him once a year afterward. He grew up without her. Motherhood, for these women and many more in the Bible, was not a happy skip down the yellow brick road, uh, and it's not for moms today. It's a tough assignment, no doubt about it. It's the toughest assignment you'll ever receive as, as a woman is to be a mother, filled with ups and downs, triumphant successes, and bitter disappointments, and that's the mix of motherhood. And you know, mothers are, are interesting. Not only do they seem to be at times superhuman, but have you ever noticed they manage to speak the same language? Somehow they all learn the same language without talking to each other. For instance, you've probably heard, don't be smart with me. And the kid's thinking, I thought you wanted me to be smart. Or how about this one? You will have fun today. Do you understand me? <laughs> and mothers are also great teachers. Mothers teach us about foresight. For instance, make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. <laughs> mothers teach us about logic. If you break your leg, don't come running to me. <laughs> logic. Mothers teach us about maturity. Eat your vegetables or you will never grow up. Mothers teach us about religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. That's how we all, a lot of kids learn how to pray. Oh, God, please. <laughs> Mothers teach us about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Mothers teach us about contradictions. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. You get it? Some of you are going to get some of these on the way home. <laughs> Mothers teach us about contortionism. Will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? <laughs> 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 
Mother's teaches about perseverance. You're going to sit here if it takes all week till you eat that broccoli. Mother's teaches about genetics. You've heard this one. You are just like your father. Mother's teaches about the weather. It looks like a tornado swept through your room. Mother's teaches about the circle of life. I brought you into this world, buddy, and I can take you out. Amen, moms? Now, I want to take an event, this event that we read about out of the life of Mary and Jesus, and I want to talk about the the wisdom that Mary had. Jesus began his public ministry as a 30-year-old man, and the very first place he manifested his miraculous powers was at a wedding in a town called Cana. Very first time he manifested his powers when he began his ministry. Now, you should know that in Eastern cultures, weddings were like social events where family, friends, distant relatives, extended families, and neighbors were all invited. And these wedding celebrations lasted two, three, even seven days. I mean, our wedding last night was done in two hours. But these people really partied on in weddings. Now, the Bible says that this wedding that Jesus went to and that his mother was at, uh, a problem arose. There was a problem. At the height of the wedding celebration, the wine ran out. Now, for the wine or the food to run out at an Eastern first century wedding was a public disgrace. This is a fact. This is why it was a big deal. When food or wine ran out, it was a public disgrace. It brought shame and embarrassment to the families. And believe it or not, in some Eastern cultures, get this, legal action could be taken against the concerned families should this happen at a wedding. That's just the way that it was. So when we read that the wine ran out, we need to understand that this was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was, it was real pressure, particularly for the wedding host, which uh, is called the master of the feast in the Bible, but who we would call the wedding planner. I worked with a wedding planner last night, and they've got it down. This was the wedding planner. And for, for something like this to happen at a first century wedding was huge pressure and embarrassment for the wedding planner, the master of the feast. So at this point, the host or the wedding planner was really dismayed. And Jesus' mother, Mary, saw this. She realized what was going on. And so she approaches Jesus about the dilemma. She said, Jesus, we got a real problem. And and the Bible says, she said to him, they have no more wine. They're out, son. They've got a terrible lack. They've got a crying need. We've got a real problem here, Jesus. Now, Jesus replied in a way that seems harsh. I used to really wonder about this verse and wonder why he talked this way. He says, woman... Woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Now, Jesus' use of the term woman sounds like he's reproving her, rebuking her, jumping on her, or kind of saying, hey, you know, this isn't my problem, so go away, as if she was interfering in something that didn't really concern her or him. But there was no such reproof or disrespect intended by the use of the term woman instead of mother. Uh, it's the same term, if you look at the Bible, by which Jesus very tenderly addressed Mary after he had risen from the dead. She'd gone to the tomb. He wasn't there. 
And she starts weeping and she sees him and thinks he's the gardener. And he says to her, woman, why are you crying? Now he could have said Mary, but he said woman. And he used the same term again with his mother when he was hanging on the cross. I want you to think about this. He's hanging on the cross. There's his mother. She is seeing what Simeon had so many years before predicted that a sword would pierce her own soul as Jesus grew and paid the ultimate price for our sin. He's hanging on the cross, beaten beyond recognition. There she is. Jesus looks down and it says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby talking about John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So it was not a term of disrespect. It was actually a term of respect. And he used it more than once in the Bible. So woman, what is, this is not my time yet. Why are you coming to me with this problem? Now, after Jesus had responded this way to Mary, she provided the answer to the problem. Now, folks, life is full of problems. Problems pop up all the time. Here was this great wedding going along. Everybody's happy, joyful, celebratory. Everybody's having a great time. This couple's getting married. Jesus is at the wedding. And all of a sudden, there was a problem. A problem came out of nowhere. It surfaced, and it became suddenly a very big deal. And she provided the answer we all need to hear whenever there's a problem in our life. And I love this answer. The answer she gave was the best advice a mother could ever give to any child or anybody could ever give to anybody. It is power packed, full of wisdom. Here, here it was. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I want us to say that together, can we? Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. How simple is that? But how profound. In a time of lack, obey him. In a time of need, seek him. In a time of crisis, turn to him. When there is a lack, a need, a problem, a crisis, a, 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 something that must be resolved, she said, whatever he says to you, that's what you do. Now, I've thought and thought about those simple seven words. It is seven, isn't it? Whatever he says to you, do it. Just seven words. All right. And, and many things have occurred to me I've never thought about. Her advice immediately presupposes that the person with the problem is going to go to him with it. Because how is he telling you what to do if you haven't first gone to him? So her advice presupposes the simple, basic wisdom that when there's a problem, you go to him. She didn't say go to the master of the feast. She didn't say go to the wedding planner. She didn't say ask one of the disciples. And she didn't say figure it out for yourself. She said, whatever he says to you, do it. Which assumes the problem has first been taken to the Lord. That old song, oh, how, 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 how often... We miss the peace of God. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. My experience is we try everything, and then finally as a default option, we go to him last. 
when in fact we ought to go to him first and save ourselves all the time in trouble. When there's a problem, you go to him. When there is a need, you go to him. When there's a lack, you go to him. When you don't know what to do, you go to him. She said, whatever he says to you, that's what I want you to do. I advise you to do that. And her statement also presupposes that Jesus would even care about the problem. Watch something about this. What his wedding? He was just an invited guest. Yet Mary believed that Jesus would care enough to do something about it. So she says, you need to go to him and, and, and realize that though it may seem insignificant to you, if it matters to you, it matters to him. Church, I want to tell you, if it matters to you, it matters to Jesus. Right now, I have lost my iPhone. It's somewhere in this world. I lost it today. But you know what I know? Jesus is going to show me where it is. I'm going to find it. You know what I know? He cares that I've lost my iPhone. He said, come on, Pastor Jeff, he's running the universe. Let me tell you, if it matters to me, it matters to him. If it matters to you, it matters to him. What did it matter to Jesus that they had run out of wine at a wedding, that he was only an invited guest? It mattered because it mattered to them and they came to him about it. Church, I want you to know Jesus cares. And Mary believed that Jesus would care enough to do something about it. And the fact that he did do something about it, that he went so far as to perform the first miracle of his ministry at this wedding shows that Jesus cares about the things that matter to us, no matter how insignificant they may seem. He cares about the least and about the greatest, anything that pertains to you and me. Let me tell you why. Because he desperately, crazily, profoundly loves you. He cares. And I got to tell you, I can't get away from it. For me, it's very significant that Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding, a wedding between a man and a woman. There is no doubt that Jesus blessed this wedding between a man and a woman because he has sanctioned marriage. Moses said, for this reason, a man shall leave. This is what I preached on last night in the wedding. I took a whole different tact with the wedding last night than I ever have. And I just read the verse for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Why do a man and woman come together? Because they meet, a friendship develops, a romance develops, and one day they both wake up and say, I can't live without you and I can't live without you. And so they decide to get married. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. That's what it said. Now, Genesis said that. Moses was the first to write that. And then Jesus repeated it, affirming what Moses said. And so God's model for marriage is a man and a woman coming together in holy matrimony. One man, one woman for life. That's it. That's the way God intended it to be. And no matter how hard you try to make it something else, you can't make it something else. That's what it is. And so Jesus decided to perform his first miracle at a wedding. That says something to me. He says, I'm for marriage. So Mary advised that we go to him with our problems, that he cares about our problems, 
And then third, she said, and this is really the crux of it, whatever he says to you, be sure that you do it. Whatever he says to you, because he's going to tell you something, I want you to do it. Mary believed that if they took their problem of lack and their problem of need, that Jesus would speak to the problem. He would give a directive. He would offer a solution. He wouldn't say, well, you know, that's really not my issue, not my problem, and go, go work it out yourself. No, no, Mary fully anticipated if they went to Jesus, Jesus would say something, and they must be certain that they did it. She expected him to speak to the problem. Let me ask you a question tonight. When you go to him with a problem, do you expect him to speak to it? Do you expect him to have anything to say about it? Do you expect him to intervene and interpose himself into your problem? Do you have the anticipation and the faith and the expectation of Mary? Because she said, if you go to him and you tell him the problem, he's going to say something to you. And whatever he says to you, that's what you do. Our Lord is a savior with solutions to our deepest problems. There's not a problem you face that there is not wisdom in Jesus to fix it. I'm going to say that again. There's not a problem you're facing, not a mountain you're climbing, not a valley you're passing through that Jesus does not have a word. And this is where Christianity is different from any other world religion because the other world religions have key figures that don't talk, that don't counsel, that don't advise, that don't guide, that don't lead. But Isaiah, describing the coming Messiah, said, you will call his name wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What does a counselor do? He counsels. He dispenses advice. He dispenses wisdom. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let me say this again. Your Savior, your Lord, your Messiah, your Christ, your Jesus gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. When do they proceed from his mouth? When you go to him with the problem. And you say, Lord, here it is. Here, here, here's, here's what I'm up against. It's a dilemma. It's a mystery. It's a vexation. It's a need. It's a lack it's a, it's a perplexity. I don't know what to do, where to go, what to do, or, or, or where to turn. What do you say? And the Lord gives wisdom. And out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. James said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. I got to read that again because that's good news. You say, well, I'm not very smart, Pastor Jeff. I'm not educated, and I, and I really haven't been a Christian very long. It doesn't matter. This isn't about you. It's about him. It's telling us what he will do to the least of these, his brethren. If you need wisdom, and wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge and gain a solution. If you need wisdom, you go to our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will speak and he will not rebuke you for asking. What are you doing coming to me, bugging me when I'm flinging more stars into space or when I'm answering Billy Graham's prayers and doing big things in the world? Don't bother me with your little stuff. No, 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 no. He says, he will not rebuke you for asking him what to do. 
Whether we want to admit it or not, we are all products of our family. Maybe it's our parents, or maybe it's a parental figure. But regardless, our upbringing defines who we are in some way. In today's message, we learn from Pastor Jeff that if you want to break free from what's been defining you and experience renewal like never before, let God transform you. There is a loving family waiting to accept you for who you are. Don't be defined by your past and accept God's grace. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We are so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to give. Have you ever been in a situation so dire you didn't know where to turn? Have you ever felt trapped in the mistakes that seem impossible to move on from? In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that the only way to be set free from your past is by the power of God's grace. He has always had you on his heart and mind and wants nothing more than to wash you clean of your past. Be changed forever by the perfect love of God. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the series, The God Who, right here on Hardwired.